Infant Adoption Guide podcast, episode number six, Adoption Agency Review, an interview with Sean Kane, Executive Director of American Adoptions. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. My name is Tim Elder, and this is the podcast dedicated to those of you who are dreaming of becoming parents through domestic infant adoption. I am an adoptive daddy two times. My wife and I were blessed to be able to adopt both a boy and a girl as newborns, one in 2007 and one in 2012. And we just love adoption. I'm very passionate about it. And my goal for the podcast is to help you shorten the time and decrease the cost of your adoption journey to make it less stressful for you to reach your dream of becoming parents so on this episode, I'm excited to talk to Sean Kane, who is the Executive Director of American Adoptions. And the reason for this podcast uh, to interview adoption agencies is I want to give you guys a, basically put a voice behind what you can already find on their websites for certain adoption agencies. I know there's tons of them out there, and I'm picking the ones um, that I have already done some research on. So hopefully we can bring some... Uh, more detail and put a voice behind what they've already said on their site and give you an idea of what they're like and maybe ask some questions that you might think of or maybe some questions you wouldn't think of uh, when you go to interview them as you should when you're doing your research. So hopefully uh, this uh, interview will be enlightening to uh, what American adoptions is like. But first of all, I want to tell you to go to my website, infantadoptionguide.com. And if you go there, I'd love for you to, uh, first of all, like my Facebook page. You can do that from there. And you can find me on Twitter as well and on Pinterest and Google+. Uh, but I really would like you to do is uh, just to get to me, know me better. And I got some resources for you. If you just enter your name and email address on the sidebar there, or there's spots below each post. And what I want to give you is regular blog updates. So anytime there's something new, it will automatically email you. And also, uh, well, what you'll get is my free report, which is right now called 25 Tips for Surviving the Adoption Wait. And what that means is when you get to the point where you're at your the waiting phase, where you've done all of the home study and everything you need to do and you're waiting to be picked, waiting to be matched, I'm going to give you 25 tips. And this is based on my experience, based on research I've done online and talking to folks uh, all over the place about what they do to survive the adoption wait, to get them through that tough time. So even if you're not there yet, wherever you are in your journey, grab those tips. They will help you. And there's links in there to uh, find out even more information and read more about how to get through the adoption wait. So I promise not to spam you or send your email address off to anybody else. I hate spam. And so uh, all you're going to get from me is blog updates and then this uh, free report. So go over there, infantadoptionguide.com, and it's right on the sidebar there. You can sign up for that. I really, really appreciate it. All right, let's get into the interview with Sean Kane from American Adoptions. Okay, everybody, I'm so happy to have on the line today Sean Kane, who is the executive director of American Adoptions, which is a national adoption agency, meaning they'll help place children nationwide. They're one of the largest domestic adoption agencies in the U.S., American Adoptions completes more than 300 domestic adoptions every year, and 99% of those are healthy newborns. They're fully licensed in Arizona, Arkansas, Florida, Kansas, and Missouri. And I'll let Sean explain more about that later, but they're a full-service agency, meaning they can provide adoptive families with step-by-step -step instructions and help throughout the entire process. So welcome, Sean, to the Infant Adoption Guide podcast. Thank you, Tim, for asking me to come on. Very good. Yeah, I, I'm lo I've been looking forward to this because I've, I've researched American adoptions, and you guys have been out there a lot, and I've seen you in the forums um, and all over the place, really. And you guys have been around a while, so and I know you're very busy, so I appreciate your time. And I also know you're an adoptive dad. And Could you just briefly explain to us uh, your, your personal adoption story as much as you'd like to share? I know you may not want to share all the details, but whatever you can share, that'd be great. Sure. Um, yeah, I've worked with the adoption agency since about uh, 2009. 
2000. And um, we, my wife and I met in uh, 2005 and uh, we started trying to have kids. And uh, we unfortunately encountered having a miscarriage. Uh, but then we kept trying and we're lucky enough to have a son. Um, his name is Harper and he is three and a half now. Uh, shortly thereafter, we uh, decided we wanted to keep continuing to try. And uh, we unfortunately experienced a, another miscarriage, uh, this time of twins. And we found ourselves in a situation that uh, my wife had to have a medical procedure that uh, ended our dreams of expanding our family through the more traditional route. So we had to begin to look at other potential options. Since I worked in adoption for so long, obviously I knew quite a bit about adoption. But I uh, spent some time with my wife, and we did a little bit of research about surrogacy and uh, infertility to kind of see what was out there. But for us, we kind of just continue to keep coming back to adoption since it's been a part of our lives uh, for such a long time. So um, we began to do our research, just like everyone else, if you can believe that. Um, one of the things that was unique for me was the fact that um, due to the fact that I've worked here for so long, I was... Um, conflicted out from working with American Adoptions because we didn't want to, you know, have any issues with any adopted families feeling like, um, you know, my family would get any potential favoritism over any other family. And so we were left to find other adoption professionals on our own to work with us during this adoption process. So uh, we began the process of talking to, you know, different adoption attorneys, different agencies, um, some of them I knew about, uh, others I didn't know quite as much about, and ended up narrowing ourselves down to working with um, a couple of law firms here locally in the uh, Kansas City area. And then uh, we began advertising on our own to find our own pregnant mother. And we were lucky enough to begin to locate pregnant mothers pretty early in the process, but um, we actually did experience um, three disruptions or reclaims, I believe is the term um, we may talk about a little bit later. Um, so I have a little bit of experience about that. We, uh, on our fourth birth mother that we ended up working with, um, we were successful with a placement of a child about 16 months ago. And, you know, the, the process definitely was um, unique to have been a part of the process for so long from the side of the professional, but then to actually experience it personally, um, it really, really meant a whole lot more to me and had a unique new understanding of what an adoptive client goes through that I had never actually had, uh, at least on an emotional level, even though intellectually, I obviously knew every day coming into work what it was like to do an adoption. Absolutely. What a unique experience. I mean, yeah, after so many years as a professional, that was pretty interesting having to go through it yourself and you couldn't even use <laughs> the agency that you worked for. So I totally understand that though. Yeah. I, I could see how favoritism and some other things may come up uh, if you guys were to go with uh, your agency that you're using. So very interesting. Did you, did you, uh, what was the hardest part of your process as you went through it? Um, for sure. I would say that the hardest part uh, are disruptions. Um, when you begin to be matched with a birth mother and begin to uh, get to know her and her situation and, you know, begin to help her out, you know, emotionally and then in some cases financially and then to, you know, have her decide to change her mind. You know, that obviously, you know, is a pretty exhausting process emotionally. And I, I don't know if, you know, your family had to go through that, but um, time and time again, I mean, that's obviously the hardest part. And especially we weren't unique. I, compared to most of their adoptive families who oftentimes have had to go through miscarriages or years of infertility. So additional setbacks to the process, you know, you end up just revisiting and you just don't understand why, why you, why your family, why do you have to go through this difficult process to expand your family? So I would say that that was um, the hardest part. Yeah, exactly. Disruptions are, are hard, but you're right. They add to the wait and the wait time is some of the most painful time you go through so yeah we are have uh just our son's now seven months old we adopted him as a newborn and we just finalized yesterday so that was fun uh going in front of the judge in the court and getting to take a picture with him and uh that was it was, it was the fun part and the end of i don't know about the end but the the finalization is 
kind of a neat culmination of your whole adoption process. So uh, did you have that same feeling or the same process where you went in front of a judge in a court to finalize yours? Uh, yes, we did. And, and yes, I would agree with you. I mean, it's a special day. Um, I know we celebrate, and I know a lot of other families and maybe yourself, um, you know, we obviously have the birth date of the child. Um, her name is Claire, but then we also celebrate her adoption day and that we, that's the finalization day. And so it's such a neat uh, way to celebrate the life of the child that is now in your family. Yeah, it is really, it's really cool. Well, I'd like to get into some uh, specifics about American adoptions, um, just to let the folks know about, oh, that's the whole point of this podcast is to know what it's like to adopt through American, America adoptions and just to, to get some uh, personality behind the agency. So I'm so glad to have you on to, to provide some of that personality. So, uh, you know, my wife and I, we've gone through the d domestic adoption process twice. And we know how hard it is to find and connect with a good agency. And now I, it sounds like you had too. You went through the same research. So what does American Adoptions offer prospective adoptive families that maybe other agencies don't offer? Uh, yeah, probably the first thing that really makes American Adoptions stand out, at least in our minds, to clients is that in 2009, we rolled out what we call is the Limited Risk Program. And what this means is that in these situations where you have a, a failed match where a mother could change her mind, American Adoptions picks up any and all living expenses that the pregnant mother uh, may have received, in addition to any and all prenatal care, as well as legal expenses up to $5,000. So what this does is in probably about 98% of the situations where a mom might change her mind, American Adoptions is taking this financial risk on as opposed to you as the adoptive couple, um, as I'm sure you and a lot of your listeners um, would agree, one of the most challenging parts of the adoption process is the cost. And so for a long time at American, you know, we had watched many, many families go through this and, you know, they could have one situation where they have um, hundreds or thousands of dollars, what we consider at risk, where the family could potentially lose the money should the mother change her mind. And we revamped and changed our programs to essentially uh, take care of these costs. It's almost like uh, adoption insurance in the sense that we're able to you know, mitigate the, co the, the cost across to every family as opposed to having one family you know, take a financial hit so that they are not able to adopt anymore. And we had situations like that through the years that were devastating for families, and we wanted to, to change our programs so that that wouldn't happen and that everybody that wanted to join American Adoptions had the potential to adopt uh, because of the limited risk program. So that's probably the one thing that really stands out about us in, comp in comparison to a lot of other professionals that are out there. Yeah, I would agree with that. And my research, yeah, that, that definitely stands out because a lot of folks, I mean, cost is a big deal in the adoption process. So that helps ease some uh, stress of thinking about how you're going to be able to pay for things if something goes wrong. Yeah, we, we've had great success. I mean, families time and time again really um, gravitate to our programs because of that. And they really, you know, throughout the process, if they happen to be one of the unlucky couples that have to go through that, um, you know, they really, really appreciate th that additional service that we provide. Because unfortunately, in adoption, um, as you know, you know, there are risks with adoption and, you know, the emotional risk is always there. And, you know, we can be there to support your family. But um, the financial risk is the one piece that um, it's, it kind of puts families at ease because to have to deal with both financial and emotional risk, um, you know, it's just really trying on a family. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Um, well, let's just talk about I was going to ask you this a little bit later. But let's just talk about it now. This the, the idea of reclaim, which is a hard subject to think about, but it's important to bring up and make sure everybody understands uh, what it is and and how to avoid it. But. Can you just tell us, first of all, what reclaim means, uh, just to give our whole audience uh, that if maybe they haven't heard the term before? Yeah, uh, reclaim, or I've heard it referred to as a failed match or a disruption. This is essentially any time that a pregnant mother decides to parent her child. Uh, so she has decided to not go through for, for, or decided not to go forward with the adoption process and has essentially changed her mind. So therefore, uh, the adoptive family, you know, has to go back uh, into the waiting pool of families until another match can be made with the mother. Yeah. And do you guys track your reclaim rates or failed matches um, at American Adoptions? 
Uh, we do. Uh, we definitely do. I mean, this is something that's uh, very important to families, and they want to un understand and know that they're working with uh, good, trusted professionals uh, that have good success rates, and this is one aspect of that process. Um, I would say that in American Adoptions, uh, in our research and numbers as we've looked at them through the years, that if we have a pregnant mother who uh, delivers the baby, um, our success rate is probably 85 to 90 percent of the time she will place her child for adoption. Uh, we feel that's due to the great families that we service in addition to the uh, counseling and support that we provide them. But no matter how great that adoptive family is, uh, the adoption professionals involved, there's always going to be a reclaim, disruption, or failed match rate because this is such a difficult choice for these women that um, not all of them can go forward with it. And so definitely making sure that um, you have a good success rate, but also realizing and being realistic that you know, it is possible and likely that there's a small percentage of women that are going to decide to parent their child for adoption. Yeah, and it's hard to prepare yourself for that. I mean, I'm sure you've you've dealt with it, so you know it, it's it's hard to prepare if that thing if those if that happens to you. But there are so many variables. Yeah, I definitely think it's where your adoption professional is really key in that process because you know, I obviously had the education, and understanding, and working in adoption for a very long time. Um, it was. What was unique about my own personal experience is I felt like I was the protector of my family, probably no different than a lot of couples do, but I felt like an additional level of protection because I'm supposed to be the expert and how come this could happen to us if this could happen to everyone else? Is this normal? So it was kind of unique in my own personal experience, but it's really crucial that you find an adoption professional that your family trusts because you really rely upon them in those timeframes because there are so many variables. I mean, you know, you have the pregnant mother and her feelings and emotions, which are obviously um, ever-changing. But then she has other things outside of her control, like the birth father or the support system. And feelings and emotions, unfortunately, are not something that um, is very tangible. So most people view the process like, okay, A, B, C, D. And so you go through the process. But with feelings and emotions, I mean, you can go back and forth and you know, the mother can change her mind, you know, one minute to wanting to place a child for adoption and then a half hour later decide, you know what, I'm, I'm starting to waver. And you really need good professionals there to support you and her to make sure that everybody's receiving the proper support and education along the way. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. As an adoptive families, a lot of us are out here worried about coercion and those kinds of things. Is everything on the ethical up and up and not just are there professionals out there just putting a lot of pressure on birth mothers to choose adoption as their only choice. So we'd put a lot of trust and faith in agencies like yours and the professionals that work there to that is going on and all the ethics are being followed. So, so what I wanted to, I guess, to piggyback on that, um, how do you find expected mothers that are considering making an adoption plan? Yeah, uh, we find expected mothers um, in, in multiple different ways. Um, one thing that we do happen to have is the number 1-800-ADOPTION. I'd be surprised. We definitely get women that just call the number and just assume that somebody behind that number knows about the adoption process. So that's one thing that um, American Adoptions has that's uh, unique compared to some other professionals that is out there. But other as uh, mediums that we go through are yellow pages, the internet, newspapers, word of mouth, hospital systems, doctor's offices, crisis pregnancy centers, in addition to correctional facilities all across the country where we uh, spend time, uh, we call it networking, where we get our information out and try to educate their staff about if they ever have a pregnant woman that has the desire to uh, contemplate adoption to give us a call and we'd be happy to educate her at no cost to her so that she can understand more about the process and learn more about the great adoptive families that are out there. Good deal. How, how many birth mothers or expectant mothers contact American Adoptions on average every year? You know, we're contacted by hundreds of pregnant mothers every month. Um, so, you know, there's you know thousands of birth moms that contact American Adoptions. We do try to keep um, the number of families that we work with um, in ratio to the number of uh, pregnant mothers that are working with us. So we try to keep that as close to a one-to-one -one ratio as possible so that we can continue to provide um, accurate wait times. Because obviously, like you mentioned earlier, 
waiting is almost wor- almost the worst part of the process um, in and of itself. And so having accuracy with your wait times as an organization is very important because the level of expectation of the families is that you know, they've been through so much by the time they even pick up the phone to call an adoption professional that um, the whole idea of waiting any longer than they have to um, is just unbearable in some cases. Yeah, I agree. But so I know a, a wait time is so hard that you can't really tell an adoptive family, a prospective adoptive family, that your wait time is ten months or twelve months. But you can kind of give an average. What, what would you say your average is that you would tell people for uh, average wait until they're matched? Um, with our programs, the average wait until you're matched um, can be anywhere from as little as one month up to as high as about nine months uh, for a match to occur. Um, 75% of the couples that work with us adopt in anywhere from one to 12 months in our programs. So most of the clients we work with that we sign up and provide education to do adopt in a relatively quick time frame. But there are, there are some couples that do go outside of that um, wait time, but that doesn't mean that they don't adopt. It just means that it may take them longer and, um, we just have to continue to provide that support and education until they find uh, the situation that's right for them. Yeah. Or the right birth parent finds them because <laughs> right. it's about, it's about them choosing. So sometimes you just have to wait. I know our second one, uh, we, we waited uh, almost two years, which was uh, very hard to go through, but yeah, you just never know how long it's going to take, but we have the, we had such great birth parents. So we wouldn't ask for it any other way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about open adoption. You know, it's, it's it's a term that's out there. It's a little bit misunderstood, I think, from what I can tell. But the Evan B. Donaldson Adoption Institute is a great organization, provides a lot of good uh, statistics and feedback and research into adoption. But they recently reported estimated 95% of domestic adoptions are now open, at least to some level. Could you explain open adoption, at least from your uh, vantage point, of what it means, or what would you tell a prospective adoptive family what open adoption means? Uh, yeah, no problem. Um, I definitely agree with you. I mean, I think this is one of the most confusing and misunderstood concepts um, about adoption. Is is what is openness? I think the first thing that a family needs to realize is that every adoption professional defines openness differently. Um, even every birth parent defines openness differently. So. Um, what we can explain, I guess, is how American Adoptions defines um, openness. Probably 90% of the adoptions we do, we actually call our semi-open adoptions. And for us, what that means, if you were to work with American Adoptions, is that non-identifying information would be exchanged. So the birth mother would know your first names and the state that you're from, but she's not going to know things like your address, your social security number, any of that type of information, because that's obviously more confidential, and we don't want that type of stuff out there. In a semi-open adoption, generally what a family is agreeing to is that they're open to, uh, before the baby's born, conference calls or emails. And that can be done in a uh, confidential way where a lot of the conference calls are where our social workers on the phone with them and everybody's phone numbers are blocked out. Or adoptive families can set up email accounts that are just set up for adoption purposes that don't have identifying information in them. So it allows them different uh, ways to communicate with the birth mother before the baby is born. Then once the mother goes into labor, um, oftentimes the adoptive family will travel out to wherever she lives and get to be at the hospital experience with her. That experience may look different depending on the birth mother's requests and desires. Um, So in some cases that could be the adoptive family gets to meet her in her room. Uh, Some birth mothers would prefer to not meet them at the hospital. Um, They would prefer for the the family just to interact with the baby. So that experience at the hospital stage um, is going to be unique to each adoption. But then post-adoption, what we require is that families are open to letters and pictures through the adoption agency anywhere from one to two times per year up until that child turns 18. Now, not all pregnant mothers want it for that long. So if a pregnant mother only wanted it for 10 years, then that's all the family you know, would be required to do. But that's kind of the expectation uh, of what we call a semi-open adoption. Anything more than that, we consider an open adoption. So if you as a family decide to exchange your phone number directly with the birth mother, that to us is more of an open adoption. Or your personal email address with your first and last names. 
that to us is more of an open adoption. Um, visitation post-birth is oftentimes considered an open adoption. So um, it really just depends on what you're looking for as an adoptive couple. You need to find an organization that matches your needs. Some organizations require what would be considered more openness, um, where other organizations allow you to have more of a semi-open process like the one I described that American has. So it's a matter of matching up needs um, with you as an adoptive couple, with the organization, and then the birth parents that they're serving. Well, that's so important that you say that because it really depends on the support and the guidance and the counseling that birth parents get because a lot of them come into the situation I and mean, they're in crisis mode and they're, they don't really know, maybe not ever heard of open adoption. They may not know that they can even have contact with a, an adoptive family uh, post-birth. So they don't know exactly what they want. And that's what my experience was. My wife and I, both situations, they had no idea what kind of uh, contact they wanted with us. And so I think it's important for adoptive families to know that you need to just at least be open to the idea of having some level of contact. I think that gives a lot of trust or establishes some trust with the, with the birth parents. Any other wisdom or advice that you could give families? No, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think the, the, the idea of being open, um, I think that birth mothers are stereotypes um, that we automatically assume that birth parents, um, you know, are afraid of, uh, or, or out to seek your confidential information Ironically, what we found through the years is that birth parents are just as concerned about the confidentiality, uh, the well-being of the child, if not the same or more than the adoptive couple. And so this process is just as nerve-wracking and scary to them on the other side. Um, so it is, it's, it's the, the one piece would be to definitely put your, your, uh, your feet in there, or how do you say that expression, uh, essentially that, you know, you look at it from their perspective. So Birth mothers um, definitely are people just like you and me, and um, they are just as concerned about the adoption plan as you are. I know in our personal experience with the adoption of our daughter, um, our birth mother, you know, we met her at about her seventh month of her pregnancy, and uh, we began to go to doctor's appointments with her. And we started out with an open adoption where she really just knew our first names and, and that we were from the state of Kansas. And then as time went on, we continued to ask her, just like you did, you know, what are... What are you looking for? And she really didn't know or understand that she could have updates about the child um, as the years went on. And so as time went on, leading up to the time in the hospital when she had the baby, um, she was still deciding these things. And what we found is, is the more you get to know the person, you begin to open up because adoption is really about levels of self-disclosure. And in the early stages, as you should be, you're more protective of things like your last name and your cell phone number. But just like any other relationship that you form out there that's not adoption related, eventually you get to the point where, you know what, I'm going to tell this person my last name or I'm going to give them my cell phone number so they can contact me if they had questions. Well, the same thing happens in adoption. As you get more comfortable, at least with us, with our birth mother, we got to the point where even now, you know, here we are about 16 months later, she texts with us, um, you know, maybe a few times a month just to kind of see how things are going. And um, that has been a comfortable place for us in our adoption. So even if we would have defined what we were looking for and put our plan together, we ended up opening probably a little bit beyond what we originally envisioned. And I think a lot of couples find in today's day and age with the access to information that a lot of adoptions start out in a semi-open adoption format and end up becoming what would be probably defined more as open adoption as, as time and years go by because they become more comfortable with the process themselves. I would agree with that. That's exactly our experience. So it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that, and I hope that helps folks out there understand a little bit more about what open adoption is and means, because it, it is scary when you're first starting out and you've never done an adoption before. Even the term open adoption means, whoa, what am I getting into? Is this co-parenting? I mean, your mind goes crazy. So to have some folks that have been through it and can talk about their experiences, I think will help anybody that's starting out. So as yeah, far as... Um, yeah, yeah. So as far as uh, birth mothers go, how far into their pregnancy do you suggest uh, that they wait before attempting to match with adoptive parents? You know, with pregnant mothers, we actually try not to really define their adoption plan for them. We try to kind of meet them where they're at. So 
if they really, really want to match with a specific adoptive family in their earlier, in the earlier stages of their pregnancy, um, assuming that they do, um, you know, the things that we're asking, like, you know, we need a proof of pregnancy and, you know, we may have gotten, you know, medical records requested and things like that. Um, we, we will match when she's ready. Um, that being said, most women don't contact us and don't get into matches until about the second or third trimester anyways. So you don't have a lot of matches where, you know, she's only two or three weeks along and now she's asking for a match. So, um, we do definitely, you know, try to slow her down if she was that early, but most of the time women, you know, they know when they're emotionally ready to meet the adoptive family. And honestly, the best part of the adoption plan for the pregnant mother should be the adoptive family. So the sooner you can get them to begin to form a relationship and let that adoption process start for the clients involved, we've generally found that that is better for the overall adoption. If the adoption is going to actually materialize and, and come to fruition, that uh, matching when she's ready, um, in most cases, is, is probably a good thing. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it scares some people to thinking, oh, I could have a eight month match and then it all falls apart and I lose all that time. I mean, that went through our head when we were starting this. So, uh, it's good to know. And I think it's generally the case that, uh, birth parents do wait a little bit later in on in pregnancy. Although I've have heard of some come really early and are rock solid in their decisions. So yeah, you're right. It is. It definitely depends on them and what they feel comfortable with. So, uh, what kind of expectant mother screening do you provide? So say they call up, talk to some uh, counselors at American Adoptions, and what you do in the initial screening, right? I mean, none of your expectant mothers directly call any of the adoptive families directly right away, right? Yes, that is correct. Um, that is one of the services that we provide. Um, and it's helpful because in my own personal experience, I mean, I, I did happen to work on adoption, so I knew how to talk to a pregnant mother. But in some situations, um, you as the adoptive family, depending on who you're working with, could be talking to the pregnant mother directly, not knowing what to ask her or how to ask it. And so having a professional there that can kind of be that first, you know, person to help begin the conversation and, you know, screen the call, if, if that's what you want to call it, um, so you can kind of begin to build a rapport with her so she understands the adoption process. Uh, the process that American Adoptions does is um, we provide a, a social medical history form that's pretty extensive. It's probably about a 25 to 30 page uh, set of forms that we help her fill out what she knows about her own medical history so that we can know more about um, the types of families that she would like to match with. Um, if there's any potential concerns about her medical history that we may need to find uh, specific families that are open to whatever that may be in her background. So, for example, if she happens to indicate that uh, she's a diabetic, well, we need to find adoptive couples that are uh, comfortable with that in their uh, social medical history that they selected when they put together their adoption plan. Um, other things that we do are uh, we definitely verify a proof of pregnancy. We uh, provide assessments by uh, the social workers that are working with the pregnant mothers to make sure that we understand her level of commitment, um, you know, is she educated? Is she asking the right types of questions? Um, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, in every industry, there probably is something like this. But, you know, some families naively go into the process thinking that, you know, every pregnant mother that's out there has their best interest in mind and the child's best interest in mind. And unfortunately, there's a very small percentage of women that uh, are not in this for the right reasons. And so it's good to have adoption professionals that have have years of experience behind them so they know the difference between someone that's serious about you know, wanting to play for adoption versus somebody that's not necessarily as serious about it. So having that, uh, that being said, regardless of what the birth mother um, medical history is, her situation, um, you know, we're there to really, you know, help out with the best interest of that child. And so finding out as much as we can about her, and then we'll find, there's lots of families out there, we'll find the family that fits her situation. Yeah, that's very. I think it's very important to have. Um, well, I call it birth mother screening, but basically, I, I, that sounds kind of harsh. But I, I think it's very important to have a professional like yourselves that can ex take that first call and do a little bit of just investigation and 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 just talking with them and realizing, okay, this is first of all, it's not a scam, it's not fraud, because that's those things do go on. 
And then second of all, like you said, just go through the, their history and their, uh, their pregnancy and just get to know more of them about them and find out what they really want in their adoption plan. So I think that's a huge part of what an agency should provide. Um, what kind of counseling and support do you provide pre and post placement uh, for birth mothers? We provide a free 24 hour, seven day a week um, counseling for them for as long as they need it. We actually provide face to face counseling if that's required. Uh, we do phone based counseling. You know, we, we meet them where they are in the process. I mean, some mothers um, we found that are in the younger generations tend to like email, text messaging, Facebook. You know, some women that, you know, maybe uh, are in their 30s and in their 40s, you know, they may prefer the face-to-face. So really it's about meeting her where she's at. And we also have a scholarship uh, that we provide to pregnant mothers that have actually placed their child for adoption through American Adoptions. So for women that um, have gone through that process, uh, we have a unique opportunity to help them with uh, their situation and you know they can apply to a junior college a four-year college a trade school cosmetology school whatever that may be and uh, american options uh, awards scholarships each year to help them with their future endeavors because for many of the women they go on to do um, many great things and this is just you know a temporary time in their life that they were under a lot of stress um, in, in a tough situation and so it's great to be able to give back to uh, women that are truly really needing that Absolutely. That's great to hear. Yeah, that's so important to have that support for them. Uh, They need it and you never know how long they need it. So it's great that you guys provide that. Um, When it when it comes down to presenting adoptive families to to potential birth mothers or expected mothers, how uh, what is the your process for doing that? I know you have like a written profile or I guess a printed profile and then you have video profiles, correct? Correct. Actually, we found that, um, like you said, we have a traditional process of, um, you know, mailing out um, or providing face-to-face the the, the profiles uh, for a pregnant mother to be able to view, um, or they can, you know, we can show them how to get onto a computer and they can uh, look at the web profile or the uh, video profile. But more and more women are actually going on the internet themselves. Uh, we think that they really enjoy the confidentiality that the internet provides. Um, especially in the early phases of the adoption process for them, because it allows them the time to research and get answers to their questions. And they begin to look at families even before they ever contact American Adoptions. And many times they contact us with an adoptive family in mind and have specific questions about that adoptive family. So more and more families are actually being identified right from the beginning of the process for her as to uh, who she wants to work with in the adoption plan. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. In fact, our our last experience was that way. They found us online. Um, we had a video up there. They watched our video. They really liked it and mulled over the process even further about if adoption was right for them, and then contacted the agency. So, yeah, I think it's an important. The internet is a huge part of adoptions, and and I think the videos are especially important. And can you tell me just a little bit more about your videos, how you guys, what do you recommend for videos? I see a lot on the internet of folks making profile videos, but a lot of them are just pictures that are set to music. Can you explain about what your video profiles are like? Yeah, we actually um, feel like we're one of the very first adoption professionals that's really taking video um, very seriously in this next uh, generation of women that are considering adoption, the adoption videos that we work with essentially are trying to tell a story. We want to capture whatever it is that makes that couple unique and special and capture that in about a two to three minute story that the pregnant mother can really learn about the actual couple. I mean, it provides a, a three-dimensional view of the adoptive couple um, you know, prior to the internet and video, the way that it's evolved, I mean, many women were only able to look at, you know, potentially a few photos or a video profile, or I'm sorry, a a picture profile that had text on it. And, you know, definitely that tells you a lot about a person, but it really doesn't, it doesn't have the ability to highlight somebody's personality um, the way that video does. It really captures truly who they really are. Um, And we've been lucky enough to, uh, 
you know, partner with a company that's provided over 700 adoption video profiles now. And they go well beyond, like you said, the slideshows with music set to them. It really provides that, that dynamic view. What we've actually noticed is a new trend with birth mothers that many of the birth moms begin the process online, like we, we just talked about. They go through the web profile. They begin to start looking and narrowing down, you know, I really like these couples. And many of them, you know, it's very hard for them to decide because there's so many great families out there. But they begin to watch the video. And the video has become what actually cements their choice. They watch that video over and over again, and it becomes actually a tool that allows them to not only share potentially with the birth father or their family or their support systems to educate them about adoption and the adoptive family to dispel some of the myths that are out there about adoption. So we really see this tool being a great new way that is really, we think it's the future of adoption. I totally agree. And I've watched some of your video profiles on your websites and I really, I think they're awesome. They, they definitely show the couples in a, in a completely personal way and nothing like a text or pictures could do justice to. And I love the fact that they're only two or three minutes long because all of our attention spans are shorter and you don't want to sit down and go, oh boy, I got a 10 minute video to, to watch. Um, and you just want to give them a taste of what the family is like anyway. And I think that really, really does a good job of doing that. We, my wife and I did video profiles on both of ours. And the same thing we did on both was uh, a lot along the same lines was a three to five minute. And, uh, and it was more of us storytelling about what we are like out of the family and what makes us unique. And in both of our situations, birth parents said, absolutely. Your guys' video step set out apart from everybody else's because you did more than just the pictures and the, and the songs to that play in the background. So I think that's a huge part of what American adoptions uh, provides. Yeah. Tim, I, I watched your uh, video. Uh, it, it's excellent. I mean, you guys did a really good job of uh, telling your story. It, it definitely, I mean, the other thing that we've also noticed is that, and I don't know if you experienced this in your adoption, but that birth mothers, are quite as nervous in the education and preparation of that first call, that match call, um, and getting to know the family because they feel like they already know you. They have um, things to talk about. They have um, hobbies and interests that they saw you do in real life that they know that you're passionate about. So it really starts the conversation, um, breaks down walls in those initial stages because it's a really awkward um, start to the relationship without the video because it's it's tough to really get going because we have some photos and some text and like you said it tells about the family but it doesn't capture who they are yeah absolutely i agree switching gears a little bit here i i wanted to make sure and cover this because it's 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 a huge part of adoptions and it's the costs and i know some agencies really be are very specific with their costs uh at least what they show on their websites and others um, realize that there's a lot of different ways you can go about your adoption. And so they want you to contact them to discuss uh, fees and costs and what that's about. What is the American adoptions? What is your, uh, how do you guys go and uh, tell people about what the costs are going to be? Yeah, um, with the cost of the adoption, I mean, obviously, this is uh, one of the most crucial parts of an adoption plan for an adoptive couple. Um, we encourage families to call in oftentimes because we want to try to um, explain what we feel are all of the costs, the total average total cost, because we feel like sometimes professionals do a really good job of highlighting what their specific fees are, but they don't necessarily maybe do a good job of talking about all the possible variables that are out there, such as living expenses or medical bills, attorney fees. And um, as you know, in, in working with a, an agent or a facilitator that worked across the country, um, the average range of adoptions, depending on what part of the country you're adopting in, can actually vary. So, um, you know, we definitely encourage for families to call in and talk to us. Um, our fees are fixed fees. Um, they don't change uh, based on, you know, what adoption that you're doing. The, the variable fees are things like the attorney fees, the living expenses, the medical expenses, um, or the things that, you know, vary with the adoption cost. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, there's there's so many variables out there. It's hard to just say this is going to cost this, and that's the expectation then. And when it's not met, then people can get upset. So I totally understand uh, wanting to 
hear out what the what are behind the costs and what are the potential costs. And then I, I think it probably gives you that opportunity to talk with them about what their adoption budget is as well. Correct. I mean, yeah, setting the adoption budget is, you know, one of the most important things a family can do. And for us, I mean, we know that, you know, when we provide our average total cost, if you were to look at it at face value, you know, we tend to be in the, you know, somewhere in the middle to higher range of the average total cost. But we feel like we pride ourselves on making sure that we have all of the costs included in the adoption um, so that a family doesn't walk away thinking, oh, well, it actually only cost this, but something else was left out. Um, the only things that we don't include in, in our average total is really the travel um, from wherever that adoptive couple is to where the pregnant mother is. So that, that's the one variable you know, that we don't include in addition to, this, to the home study. And as you know, you know, whatever state you live in and whatever professional you choose, that can vary quite widely. But, um, you know, we do try to be upfront about it. I mean, we can, you know, give the fees to, you know, the family to find out what program they're wanting, you know, on the very first phone call. Um, we know some organizations, you know, they try to do a series of phone calls to get you to that level to talk about the fees. Um, we can, you know, email you that contract of the fees, you know, on that first call if that's what you want. Um you know, we have no problem discussing what the fees of, you know, what an adoption plan might be. Yeah. And and in the fees, you, uh, because you're licensed in, I think, what is it, five states, is those the five states that you're able to help uh, families with, directly with providing them a home study? Uh, that is correct. I was say, yeah, those five states that we can provide home studies uh, in that you had mentioned earlier, uh, the other 45 states um, that families are from, we generally refer off to um, 1-800-HOME-STUDY. It's a website that provides free referrals to adoptive couples of adoption professionals that we've worked with that we know provide good home study services around the country. So that way they can find a good trusted professional uh, that can complete that service for them. Yeah, that's very important to note, I think, because sometimes when you're doing your research and you're going through all the agencies and it says, oh, they're only licensed in these five states, that means that you might automatically assume that you can't work with them. So uh, I think it's good to point out to folks that uh, you can, in, in, in your case, for sure, work with uh, couples uh, all over the country. Are there any states that you cannot work with couples in? Uh, currently, we are not able to work with couples from the state of New York and the state of Oklahoma, but all the other states, uh, we work with families from everywhere else. Yeah, I've, I've heard a little bit about New York. It's kind of a tough state <laughs> adoption wise it can be yeah they have a specific law that makes it pretty tough for adoption professionals um, unless you're licensed in that state of new york to work with couples from the state of new york i understand that okay so most families uh have i've heard anyway and we've had a little bit of this uh in our situation but uh for the most part communication has been really good for uh, in our situation but a lot of couples out there struggle with it, uh, communicating with their agencies. So they feel they're not very responsive or they're, they're trying to get some information and either they don't get it correct information or information back right away. How long would families expect to wait for an email or phone call back from American Adoptions? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, I think some of that is going to depend on what part of the process they're in. Um, in the early stages of the process, when, you know, families are trying to, um, you know, inquire and learn about our service versus the other services that are out there, you know, we have anywhere from daily to weekly to monthly contact with each of those clients, depending on, you know, what they're needing and, and wanting. Once a family decides to actually join American Options and is, is on our list, generally that communication usually tears back to about once a month, uh, where a lot of couples um, are being provided updates. We do kind of let the, the couple dictate that. Some couples would prefer that monthly update. Other couples would prefer for um, you know us not to bother them monthly, maybe every couple months. So we really allow the couple to kind of let us know and communicate what they want. But then once a couple actually gets into a match with a pregnant mother, again, it goes back into that you know daily, weekly, monthly. We talked about how long matches might occur. Some of that factors into what new information might be available. But I think, you know, general rule of thumb, I think, you know, American Options strives to try to return any and all communication within one business day of a client contacting us. And again, you know, if, let's say, you know, you're matched and she delivers. I mean, we're going to be giving you calls back, you know, within minutes to within an hour or two versus, you know, if you're on the list and you call and it's, you know, Friday, you may not get a call back till Monday, depending on, you know, how busy that person is. So it really just depends on what part of the process the client's at. And each 
couple gets assigned a, a particular a social worker or person to help them? Uh, that is correct. Um, at American Adoptions, what we do is adoptive families are assigned an adoptive family coordinator. And they really work with them on the process on educating them on, you know, what is a home study? What's required for a home study? Helping to educate them with the, you know, the print, the video profiles, um, those different types of steps. But then once they fill out that adoption planning questionnaire, which creates the adoption plan, we actually assign them who we call as an adoptive family specialist. And this person will work with them from the time they submit this, which is usually within the first few days of actually joining the agency, all the way until the finalization of the adoption. So this person is really that client's advocate during the adoption process. And they're there to answer their questions, provide support, provide education. And then there's actually another social worker that is actually assigned and designated to the pregnant mother. And so she works exclusively with her. Now, once a family is matched with a birth mother, the birth parent social worker and the adoptive family social worker work in conjunction with each other to share information back and forth so that we can uh, provide the best service possible to the, all the clients that are involved in the process. Wow, that sounds really good. Yeah, that sounds like the communication is, uh, it'd be hard to have a breakdown there when you involve more and more people, especially as it gets to be crunch time. Well, we've uh, shared a lot of information here. Uh, have Is there anything we haven't covered here that you would recommend to prospective adoptive uh, couples that are looking to agencies that are interviewing and, and doing their research? Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, adoptive families, you know, need to do a really good job of spending time looking over the fee structures that an adoption professional offers in addition to the contracts. Um, everybody works so differently. And sometimes um, adoptive families feel really good because they find professionals that might have, you know, lower upfront fees. But they don't realize that, you know, lower upfront fees generally for advertising can sometimes equate to less birth mothers. Um, you know, you definitely need to make sure you're working with a professional that, you know, has a, a good budget allocated to put you guys out there um, and give you give your family opportunities to meet pregnant mothers. Because um, you want to have a large pool of adoptive families. Um, They're all working together to try to find as many birth mothers as possible. The other thing that I would probably tell them is that, you know, I know adoptive families spend a lot of time trying to figure out um, how to identify the needs and wants of an organization that fit them. And I would encourage that 100 percent. But I also think families need to take uh, time to spend looking at it from the other side of the equation, which is why would a birth mother work with an organization? Because at the end of the day, I mean, that's ultimately what you have to have to be able to make an adoption possible. So a lot of birth mothers are looking for professionals that they can call and talk to on the phone. Well, you know, if you're a pregnant mother and you call after hours, can you talk to somebody on the phone or do they hit an answering service? Or if I'm a pregnant mother, I generally want to see that large pool of adoptive families because I need to be able to find um, a family that matches what I'm about. And everybody's unique and having a variety really makes a big difference. So, I mean, those are the kinds of things that I would just encourage them is to spend time really trying to understand what fees are refundable and non-refundable, and then also understanding, um, you know, what's in it for the birth mother, because ultimately, you know, she's as important in the process as you are, and you need to make sure she's being serviced and taken care of. Understood. Sounds good. Uh, what what would be your top three, you know, I guess we talked about this at the beginning a little bit, but what would be your top uh three, I guess you don't have to have three, but uh, whatever your top reasons are for why a prospective adoptive family would choose American adoptions? Uh, probably, you know, one of the number one reasons I would say would be the national presence that we have, uh, that we do work nationwide. Uh, it's very appealing to adoptive families because it helps us reduce wait times in many cases. Um, we have that limited risk program that we talked about where from a financial perspective, we um, are offering a, a unique set of protection that most couples don't have and with most of their adoption professionals. And lastly, uh, we have a lot of staff members that have been here for many years and have completed hundreds of adoptions. And so our experience and reputation um, has spoke volumes, at least in our experience, uh, when clients pick up the phone and talk to us that they feel like they're working with a, a trusted professional that's been around for a long time. Yeah, I would agree. I would also put your, your video profiles up there because it's pretty unique on how you guys approach it. And I would, I would encourage anybody listening to this, if you are not familiar with video profiles or you are, but you haven't seen a lot of them, I would go to the American Adoptions website and just look at their, view, their waiting families. 
And when you scroll down there, you'll see a lot of them, uh, most of them, have a video profile and play that. And it's only two or three minutes. You'll get a good idea of what, in my opinion, is a good video profile. And in my experience of not just my opinion, but birth parents' opinion of what a good video profile is. And it, I think it's a really big deal to get them to see who you really are as best as you can without a live meeting. Who knows, maybe the future of adoptions will be uh, a Skype call or a video call, you know, where you can uh, really get a better idea of, of who they are uh, firsthand. Well, Tim, we actually are already doing Skype calls. Are you? Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. That would that'd be a little bit uh, scary at first, too, I think, to get uh, to have your face, uh, do a face-to-face contact with them. But uh, I don't know. Do you do that right away or do you have a telephone call first oh yeah we like you were saying we do screen them we talk to the predator figure out her commitment level um it doesn't happen a lot yet but um, we've had a couple birth moms request it and so it's definitely uh starting to take place where you know that's the mode of communication they're comfortable with and um for us at that point it's about educating and preparing the adoptive family um how to best do that so yeah facetime and skype are big now yeah, I mean, you could do it from your phone. I mean, you don't even have to sit at your computer. So I think uh, you heard it here first, folks. Uh, <laughs> get used to what uh, FaceTime or, or Skype video chatting is all about because it's coming. Well, what uh, I re- Sean, I really appreciate your time. And I want to uh, give folks out there what the best way is to contact American Adoptions. If they have want to find out more, obviously, your, your website has a lot of information. And you gave the 1-800-ADOPTIONS uh, phone number, which is great. Uh, what other ways, best ways could they contact you? Uh, those are probably the two best, but um, you, know, you definitely could email us as well. Um, but our website you know, has a wealth of information that really gets a lot of people started in the right direction. And then you know, when they're ready to pick up the phone and contact us uh, when they want to start asking questions, uh, those would be the best ways. So, and again, Tim, I wanted to really appreciate, appreciate you, uh, you know, doing this call and it really like your website. I think it does a great job of giving um, a very extensive approach and look inside the adoption professionals um, that is needed out there. It's a, it's a service that is definitely, you know, needed in this industry. Yeah, it's very difficult to uh, when you're first starting out on adoptions. It's overwhelming because you have, I don't know, I think the last count I saw was 1,700 or some crazy amount of adoption agencies or professionals out there that you can help with. I mean, that's mind blowing. How do you know how to whittle it down to the person or the professional that's going to help you? So that's kind of my goal. One of my goals behind the website is to help people uh, do their research better and find uh, the right adoption agency to help them. To, to You already waited a long time, especially if you've gone through infertility. Now you don't want to take a lot more time researching to get to the point where you're even starting the process. So hopefully I, we can help some people through the website. Though. I appreciate that. Yeah, no problem. Okay, well. That's all I have, Sean. I really appreciate your time, and uh, I really like your guys' website, and uh, really have what I think is a a standout agency that uh, people should look into. Well, thank you. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Sean. All right. Talk to you later. Take care. Well, that was a great interview with Sean Kane. I really appreciate his time, and you know what I really loved in that interview was uh, well, a couple of things, but one thing I really I loved about it was that he's an adoptive dad. He's a recent adoptive dad. He's been through the process. So what better person to help run an agency that if somebody's actually done it? So I really uh, enjoyed his story. And the other thing I really loved is the fact that American Adoptions focus on doing video profiles, which I think is huge. My wife and I have done them on both of our adoptions, and they've proven to work at least in our case, and um, I just think they're huge uh, going forward. More and more uh, potential birth parents are going to be looking at videos online and just another way to get to see you and know you before they could ever even talk to you live. I think that's huge. So I know we talked about it extensively in the interview, but uh, I I would encourage you to go on their website, check it out, and see what other people's videos look like. Uh, it's really interesting. You can go look and look at mine as well. Um, there's various links on my page at infantadoptionguide.com, or you can go to my about page and it'll be there in the link. So um, anyway, I wanted to uh, wrap this up. Uh, 
by asking you if you would help me to get this podcast into the ears of more adoptive families just like you. If you would head over to iTunes and you could leave me an honest review. It's easy to do and I really appreciate you taking the time to do that because the more reviews, the more the podcast will be featured and found by folks just like you and the more it can help folks just like you. Uh, I know you may already know how overwhelming and difficult it is to find the right adoption agency for you. And this is why I want to put this, keep this podcast going and uh, feature some more interviews for, from folks just like Sean that can help you uh, get past some of the difficulties and overwhelms that you find when you start going through the process. So if you want more information about adoption agencies, um, you can go to my website, infantadoptionguide.com forward slash adoption agencies. There you'll find lots of information about how to find the right adoption agency, what questions to ask them, and much more. I even have questions that you could download and uh, think about and write them out. Okay, so I wrap up this episode with a question that I want to ask you. What do you look for when you research adoption agencies? Go to infantadoptionguide.com forward slash 006 and leave a comment there and let me know what you think. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next episode, remember to stick with your adoption journey. Your dream of becoming parents will come true. Thanks, everybody. See you next time.